Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Unconditional surrender. One of the difficulties that I have as a pastor is to try to talk with you about the reality of Jesus in a way that you don't just let it float over your head and float away. We're so accustomed to everything in the physical realm that to begin to talk about the spirit realm that you can't see. Well, how do we deal with that? If I started talking to you about the pumpkin pie that I had on Thanksgiving Day, and I began to talk to you about the mint ice cream that went with that pumpkin pie, I've never put pumpkin pie with mint ice cream before, but that's what they did. But then to talk about Jesus... You didn't see him this morning. So to try to talk about the spirit realm 
And the Apostle Paul had the same struggle. In the book of Ephesians, in the first chapter, open your Bibles and follow with me, beginning with verse 15. For this reason, the reason was because the Holy Spirit has been given as a deposit. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It takes a revelation of God in your heart for you to know Jesus. We cannot know Jesus without revelation. I mean, go to the library and see what you find about Jesus. Very little. And what you do find is probably mostly false. It's revelation that reveals Jesus to us, and that's the Bible. So Paul is saying, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So we don't have trouble with our eyes. We can see. But it's our heart eye that he wants us to look with. And so today I'm going to try to take you into a realm where you begin to look with your heart eye at your life where you begin to make choices and decisions, not with your physical eyes, but with the eye of your heart. The eye of our heart is often blocked by our attitude. The eye of our heart is often blinded by bitterness and anger or by busyness. We need today to ask the Holy Spirit to open the eye of our heart so we can see We do know about this in some areas. If you ask this mother, does the eye of your heart see this daughter? She'll say, of course. Those you love, you see with the eye of your heart. And those you hate, you see with the eye of your heart. It's hard to see hate, and it's hard to see love. We see the result, but it's hard to see the inside. I can tell by your face sometimes, but your heart knows. Who are you angry with today? Are you bitter with anyone? Are you resentful? Well, it's with this same eye that Jesus wants us to look at him and understand what he wants, because the eye of his heart is also hurt sometimes. We can grieve him. He's a person. But now, let me say something else. Did you know the Holy Spirit is a person and not an influence? The Holy Spirit is a person just like Jesus is a person. Oh, he's not in flesh. But he is a person. He has thoughts and feelings. He doesn't just come down on a meeting and influence it. He is actually present among us. And you can make the Holy Spirit grieve. You can make him angry. Or you can make him happy. 
until we can begin to see these things with the eye of our heart and understand that he's watching all of us. How long has it been since Jesus went back to heaven? 2,000 years? But how long was he on the earth? Three and a half years? We know a lot more about Jesus than we know about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's been around for 2,000 years. Why? Because Jesus is lifted up by the Holy Spirit. But let's not mistake that the Holy Spirit is real. And we want his fire, we want his power, we want his anointing. And we can't do that if the eye of our heart does not perceive him. If we can't feel what he feels, if we can't see what he sees, then how can he come and dwell in us? So Paul's saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, his incomparably great power, that word power in the Greek, same word we get dynamite from. It's dunamis in the Greek, it's dynamite. I could read it just as well. Has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great dynamite for us who believe. The dynamite is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. Jesus did not seat himself beside the Father. The Father seated him there. We will not seat ourselves beside Jesus. The Holy Spirit will have to seat us there. So if we don't see Jesus with the heart eye, if we don't see the Holy Spirit, how can we be seated beside Christ? Now, let me continue. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So it's the intent of God that the church not be a place of entertainment. It's not a place where you come. The church is a people. The church is not a place. The church is a people. We're Americans. So we're accustomed to going to the club to work out. We're accustomed to going to Wegmans to go shopping. We have these places that we go. They are favorite restaurants. They're places that we go. And then we add to that list a place called church. Wrong. The church is not a place we go. The church is a people. It's who we are. And that people, it's the intention of Jesus to fill them with the fullness of God. We're going to get into that in much more depth, but I want to go quickly now to chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is the devil, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now I have to make a confession. I have not been raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's speaking spiritually here. I have been quickened by the Holy Spirit. I've been quickened so that there is a hunger in my spirit for Jesus. There is a part of my heart that is very tender toward God. I want in every respect to serve him and worship him. But I have to confess, I have not yet had the experience of being lifted up and seated with Christ. Now, by faith, I can say I've been lifted up and seated with Christ. But experientially, I've not been. And I want to be. I want to be not just quickened by the Holy Spirit. I want to be lifted up experientially, and I want to sit beside Jesus Christ. I want to read for you a story. It's a man by the name of Reese Howells. What I'm going to share with you today happened when he was 26 years of age. He was just a young man. He had gone to America. He was from Wales. He had gone to America to make money. Everyone who wanted money went to America, so he went to America. But while he was there, he found Jesus Christ. Oh, he made money. But the money soon became nothing to him. He wanted Jesus. And so he returned home to Wales. At 26, he had to work. He was a coal miner. He worked at the mine face, which was the hardest place to work. I'll pick up the story. On his return from America, Reese settled down in an old family home where he had received a great welcome. And instead of returning to the tin mine like several of his brothers, he found employment in a neighboring mine about a mile away in the valley, working underground at the coal face, the hardest job of all. His spare time was spent in the activities of the revival. I want you to get this picture. He's a coal miner. He has to walk a mile in the morning to get to the coal mine. He has to walk a mile back at night. In his spare time, he's working with the revival. He's attending revival meetings every night. The year was 1906. A large party decided to spend their summer holiday week seeking the Lord in a special way at the Landon Drod Wells Convention. Shortly after they were due to go, Reese was in a meeting where a young woman read Romans eight twenty six to 30. She could only read very slowly, which gave time for each word to sink in. Predestined. 
justified, glorified. As Reese listened, he said to himself, I know I am predestined according to the foreknowledge of God, and I know I'm justified, but am I glorified? That puzzled him, and the question was constantly in his mind. What does it mean to be glorified? Two days later in the train on the way to the Landrandrod Convention, this thought was still in his heart. And suddenly a voice spoke to him. When you return, you will be a new man. But I am a new man, he protested. No, came the answer. You're a child. The others in the carriage were singing the newest song of the revival, but Reese never heard it. Instead, he kept pacing the corridor with a voice ringing in his ears, You will be a new man. On the first morning of the convention, the preacher, Reverend Evan Hopkins, spoke on Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 6. You hath he quickened, and hath raised us up, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He pointed out that it was the risen Lord who had appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. But when the Holy Ghost came down, by the way, you know what the word Holy Ghost means? Ghost is an old English word, and it means guest. So it is Holy Guest came down. He revealed the exalted Savior at the right hand of the Father. Mr. Hopkins then asked the question, Have you been quickened by Christ? Have you been raised up to sit with him in heavenly places? In his heart, Reese answered, Yes, I know I've been quickened. I have not been raised up with Christ to the place of power. He's speaking here about Pentecost power. When we are raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly realms, you won't need to tell anybody that that's happened to you because Pentecost power will flow in your life. And the witness of Christ will flow naturally out of you. The moment he said this, he said, I saw the glorified Lord. I saw Jesus As really as I'd seen the crucified Christ, the risen Christ, I saw the glorified Christ. And the same voice I had heard in the train said to me, Would you like to sit there with him? There is a place for you. I saw myself raised up with him. I knew now what it meant to be glorified. I saw him as John did in Patmos and was dazzled like the Apostle Paul. When he reveals a thing, it is exactly as it is. It is not imagination. All that night I was in the presence of God and my glorified Savior. There is nothing in nature refined enough to describe it. I saw men as trees walking. He's seeing with the eye of his heart. He's seeing Jesus. He knows he's been quickened. And I would just ask you, Do you know that you've been quickened by the Holy Spirit? If you had not been quickened, I don't think you'd be here. But to be quickened by the Holy Spirit is not sufficient. 
the quickening of the Holy Spirit will only last for a time. And then we'll drift back into our old ways. It's the quickening of the Holy Spirit in our heart that begins to cause us to read the word. To cause us to look at the promises of God. To begin to search after Jesus. And if you let that quickening go. And you deny the Holy Spirit, the quickening power in your life. You'll soon be cold hearted again. And the Holy Spirit will have to start all over. If he begins again in your heart. The next morning, Mr. Hopkins spoke about the Holy Spirit. He made it plain that he is a person with all the faculties of a person, exactly like the Savior. He has intelligence, love, and a will of his own. And as a person, before he comes to live in a man, He must be given full possession of his body. Now suddenly you're going to begin to see something. There is a transition in the Christian life from the eye of the heart to the physical body. And if that transition never takes place, the gospel will be aborted in our hearts. Salvation comes... Through the eye of the heart, through the quickening of the spirit. But many drift away after that occurs because they never are willing to allow the work of the spirit to be manifest in their physical world, in their physical bodies. They're never willing to obey Jesus. They continue to eat what they want to eat. They continue to go where they want to go. They continue to talk as they want to speak. They continue to lust after money. They continue to lust after all the things of the world. And so the quickening of the Holy Spirit in their heart is destroyed. And then they become very religious. And so you go to church today. In most places, you'll see the entertainment. You'll hear the jokes. You'll see the coffee and the donuts being served. You'll see all the things of the flesh because the church is dead. You might as well throw dirt on it. It's a stench in God's nostrils. The lying, the pretending, he goes on. As he spoke, he said, the Holy Ghost appeared to me. And I knew him to be the one who'd spoken to me the day before and shown me that place of splendor and glory into which natural eyes can never look. It never dawned on me before that the Holy Spirit was a a person exactly like the Savior and that he must come in and dwell in flesh and blood. In fact, the church knows more about the Savior who was only on the earth 33 years than about the Holy Ghost who's been here for 2,000 years. I'd only thought of him as an influence coming on a meeting. And that was what most of us in the revival thought. I'd never seen that he he must live in bodies as the Savior lived in his on earth. The meeting with the Holy Ghost was just as real to Reese Howells as his meeting with the Savior those years before. I saw him as a person apart from flesh and blood. And he said to me, as the Savior had a body, so I dwell in the cleansed temple of the believer. I am a person. I am God. 
And I am come to ask you to give your body to me that I may work through it. I need a body for my temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19 But it must belong to me without reserve. For two persons with different wills can never live in the same body. Will you give me your body? Romans 12.1 But if I come in, I come as God, and you must go out. I shall not mix myself with yourself. He made it very plain that he would never share my life. I saw the honor he gave me in offering to indwell me, but there were many things very dear to me, and I knew he wouldn't keep one of them. All this week, I've had a biblical phrase running through my heart. For me to live is Christ. I wake up and it's in my heart. It's running through my mind. I go to bed at night, I can't get it out of my mind. For me to live is Christ. For some, they would say, for me to live is football. Or for me to live is food. For some, it's a beer. For some, it's television. For some, it's the internet. For some, it's the hope of what I'll have in the future. All of that's over for me. All I can say over and over in my heart, For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. It's the Holy Spirit speaking in my heart. For me to live is is Christ. Now you know what the rest of the phrase is. And to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is to gain. He made it very plain that he would never share my life. I saw the honor he gave me in offering to indwell me. What would you say to the Holy Spirit if he came to you today and said, I want your body. I want to dwell in you, but you have to move out of it. Would you say yes? Would you move out of your body for the Holy Spirit? There were many things that were very dear to me, and I knew he would not keep one of them. The charge he would make, or the change he would make was very clear. It meant every bit of my fallen nature was to go to the cross. And he would bring in his own life and his own nature. It was unconditional surrender. From the meeting, Reese went out into a field where he cried his heart out. Because as he said, I had received a sentence of death as surely as a prisoner in the dock. I had lived in my body for 26 years. Could I easily give it up? Who could give up his life to another in an hour? Why does a man struggle when death comes if it is easy to die? I knew that the only place fit for the old nature was on the cross. Paul makes that very plain in Romans 6. But once this is done in reality, it is done forever. I could not run into this. 
I intended to do it, but oh, the cost. I wept for days. I lost seven pounds in weight just because I saw what he was offering me. How I wished I'd never seen it. One thing he reminded me of was that he had only come to take what I'd already promised the Savior, not in part, but in whole. Have any of you in this room said, Jesus, I belong to you? If you have said, Jesus, I belong to you, then he has a right to come now. Based on your word, he has a right to come. And he has a right to say, all right, I want it all. Has he said that to you yet? He's saying it to you today. He wants it all. For a long time, I thought I was waiting on God. And then I made this startling discovery. God was waiting on me. God was waiting on me to move out of my house so he could move in. Every bit of the old human nature has to go to the cross. Now, let me destroy any illusions you may have. The human nature, the fleshly nature, the evil nature of man, does not want to die. And it will do almost anything it has to do in order to survive. It's willing to dress up in fine clothes. It's willing to make radical changes. As long as it gets what it wants. It means starving it out. There is no way to kill the old human nature other than to starve it to death. And every time we step into sin, every time we step into the old ways, we're just feeding that old nature and bringing it back to life. It's determined that you will not put it to death. It's like the fight I'm having right now with mice at my new house. They're absolutely determined they will not live in this 26-degree temperature outside. They are absolutely determined they will live in my comfortable, warm house. So when I go out to the garage, I see them scampering away. But there is a rat poison that I've found that if they eat it, it starves them. So right now, there's a fight on between me and the mice. Am I going to move out or are they going to move in? Well, right now they're moving in and I'm not moving out. There's a battle for my garage. I haven't found them in the house yet, but if I don't get them out of the garage, they'll soon be in the house too. There's a fight going on in your soul, whether you're conscious of it or unconscious. Your old human nature is absolutely determined it will live in you. And you will be bitter in your spirit. You will be angry. You will try your best to survive. You will do whatever is necessary. Oh, I intended to do it. But oh, the cost. I wept for days. I lost seven pounds in weight just because I saw what he offered me. How I wished I'd never seen it. Any of you ever wish you could just be a a normal American Christian again? I can never go back. Since he died for me, I had died in him, and I knew that the new life was his and not mine. That had been clear in my mind for three years. 
So he had only come to take what was his own. Now, just a mark. He's a new Christian. He's three years old in Christ. Everything he told me appealed to me. It was only a question of loss that there would be in doing it, in following him. I didn't give my answer in a moment. He didn't want me to. It took five days for me to make the decision. Days which were spent alone with God. Like Isaiah, I saw the holiness of God. And seeing him, I saw my own corrupt nature. It wasn't sins that I saw, but my nature touched by the fall. I was corrupt to the core. I knew I had to be cleansed. I saw there was as much difference between the Holy Spirit and myself as between light and darkness. Nothing is more real to me than the process I went through that whole week. The Holy Spirit went on dealing with me, exposing the root of my nature, which was self. And you can only get out of a thing what is in its root. Sin was canceled, and it wasn't sin he was dealing with. It wasn't sin he was dealing with. It was self. That thing which came from the fall. He was not going to take any superficial surrender. He put his finger on each part of my self-life, and I had to decide in cold blood. He would never take a thing away until I gave my consent. And then the moment I gave it, some purging took place. And I could never touch that thing again. Some of you in this room struggle with sin. You repent, you go back. You repent, you go back. You repent, you go back. The truth is you've never really repented of that thing because you love it. And you're going to have to claim the promise of Genesis 3.15. You're going to have to ask God to make you hate that thing. And when you hate it, and you then release it to Jesus, it's gone and it will not be back. You're set free. It was not saying I was purged and the thing still had a hold on me. It was a breaking. It was the Holy Spirit taking control. Day by day, the dealing went on. He was coming in as God and I had lived as a man. And what is permissible to ordinary men, he told me, will not be permissible to you. This land and drought experience was the crisis which was followed by the process of sanctification during which the Holy Spirit, on the basis of his initial surrender, step by step, replaced the self-nature with his own divine nature. First, there was the love of money, that root of evil which had formerly taken Reese to America. The Lord told him that he would take the love of money out of his nature. He would remove all taste for money and any ambition for ownership of money. I had to consider what that meant. Money would be no more to me than it was to John the Baptist or to the Savior. To an extent, this was dealt with in my new birth, but now the Holy Spirit was getting at the root. The dealing on that lasted a whole day, and by the evening, my attitude toward money had entirely changed. What I want you to see is that when the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to deal with your heart, when you say yes, everything changes, and he changes it. I remember in high school, 
I was such an angry person. I was angry at my mom and dad. I didn't think they treated me fairly. I was the youngest of three. I thought my big brothers were really nasty. I swore that when I got older, I'd beat them up instead of them beating me up. I mean, I had revenge in my heart. I was sick and tired of my older brothers. I was tired of their bossing me. I was tired of their pushing me. And I went off to high school. I lived on a farm as a kid, and I wore bib overhauls all the time except to go to church. So mom and dad didn't think anything about sending me to a boarding school with bib overhauls. And I came home after the first break, and I said, I'm not wearing these bib overhauls. I'm going to go naked if you don't give me something else. Well, mom and dad said, okay, so they gave me green work pants. So my nickname in high school was Green Jeans. Nobody wore green jeans. Everybody wore these blue Levi's. They called them short pants. I was angry. I was so embarrassed. Mom and dad were country people. They didn't know how to dress. I was thrown into these wealthy kids who had all of the latest tennis shoes and the the latest clothing and the latest. And I was angry that I wasn't dressed right. I remember sitting in that meeting. It was a revival meeting. The Holy Spirit came. It was a chapel like I'd never seen before. The power of the Holy Spirit came down. And my heart was softened. And I began to talk to Jesus and say, Lord, will you take this anger out of my heart? I don't want to be an angry person. And by a sovereign act of grace, anger was removed from my spirit. Today, I'm not an angry man. There's no anger left in me but I know it has nothing to do with me. It was a work of the Holy Spirit coming and removing that anger from my spirit. Had that anger continued to grow in me when I would have become a man, I would have been a bitterly angry, hostile man. But Jesus saved me. He took the anger and the bitterness from my heart. He said then there was the fact that he would never have the right to choose in making a home. I saw I could never give my life to another person to live to that one alone. Could the Savior have given his life and attention to one person instead of to a lost world? Neither could the Holy Spirit. He took plenty of time to show me exactly what it would mean. The life he would live would be for the world. Was I willing for that? And I'll share with you. He thought he would never get married that he would just live to Jesus. And then Jesus brought a woman into his life who thought she'd never get married. And together, Jesus stood between them. And Jesus was first. And they had an incredible marriage and ministry together. That's what happened to Reese House. Among other things that were dealt with was ambition. How could he have any of it if the Holy Ghost came in? The way the Lord showed it to him was like this. Supposing he had a mission in a town, and another mission opened in the same place. If there was any jealousy between the two, and it was better for the town to have only one, then it would be 
his, which would have to close. Or suppose that he and another man should apply for the same job. He would have to let the other have it. Or if he was earning 12 shillings a day and the other man had a family and was earning less, the Holy Spirit could tell him to give his job to that man. He saw the Holy Ghost in ways like that, taking the place of another and suffering instead of him. Yes, he was willing to do that. And some years later, he was pastoring a mission church. And his assistant, they began to say behind his back, as long as you're working under Reese Howells, you'll never have your own ministry. You should go have your own ministry. And Reese Howells heard about it. And the Holy Spirit said, give him the church and you withdraw. And he did. And then the Holy Spirit said to him, now you're not allowed to attend that church anymore. In fact, you're not allowed to attend any church. I want you to come and just be with me. I want to teach you. And everybody thought he was angry. Everybody thought he was bitter. He wasn't. He was under the power of the Holy Spirit. He was being disciplined for the work of missionary work in Africa. He was being prepared. On the fifth day, his reputation was touched. As he was thinking of men of the Bible who were full of the Holy Ghost, and particularly John the Baptist, the Lord said to him, Then I may live through you the kind of life I live through him. A Nazarite, clothed in camel's hair, living in a desert. Even in this, or what might be its modern equivalent, a real decision had to be made. If I live my life in you, and that is the kind of life I choose, you cannot stop me, was the word of the Lord on it. And as the Savior was despised, you must be willing also to be despised. He did not imagine at that time that some years later the Lord would say to him, you may not cut your hair or shave again. And soon his beard was long and his hair was down over his shoulders. His family was embarrassed. But soon he was dead to what people thought of him. And then a letter came to the post office in the little town he lived in. And the letter was addressed to the holy man. The postmaster immediately delivered it to him. Because God was doing something in his heart. Are you willing to give up all convention? Are you willing to be made to look foolish in front of others? Are you willing not to be embarrassed by the name of Jesus anymore? I've sat down with people in restaurants. And as soon as we sat down, I've extended my hands to them and said, let's pray. And their face turned a bright red. And they began to look around. Who's going to see us praying? I said, I see you're embarrassed. Are you a Christian? Yes. Then bow your head, I'm praying. We have to come to a place where we no longer fear the world where we're willing to stand and say, I follow Jesus Christ. By Friday night, each point had been faced. 
He knew exactly what was offered. The choice between temporal and eternal gain. The Spirit summed the issue up for him. On no account will I allow you to cherish a single thought of self and of your life. And I will live in you. And you will be 100% for others. You will never be able to save yourself any more than the Savior could save himself while he was on earth. Now, are you willing? And Reese had to give his final answer. That night, a friend said to him, If some of us come over after the meeting, will you tell us of your position in Christ? At once, the Spirit challenged him. How can you do that? You have seen the position of the overcomers, but you have not entered in. I have been dealing with you for five days. You must give me your decision by six o'clock tonight. And remember, you must go out. On no account will I allow you to bring in a cross current. Where I send you, you will go. What I say to you, you will do. It was the final battle of the will. I asked him for more time. But he said, you will not have a minute after six o'clock. When I heard that, it was exactly as if a wild beast was roused in me. You gave me free will. You force me now to give it up? He said, I do not force you. But for three years, you've been saying that you are not your own and that you wanted to give your life back to the Savior as completely as he gave his for you. I backed down in a second. The way I had said it was an insult to the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, I said to him. I didn't mean what I said. He said, you are not forced to give up your will. But at six o'clock, I will take your decision. After that, you will never get another chance. It is my last offer, my last chance. I saw that throne and all my future for eternity going. I said, please forgive me. I want to do it. Once more, the question came. Are you willing? It was ten minutes to six. I wanted to do it, but I could not. Your mind is very sharp when you're tested. And in a flash, it came to me, how can self be willing to give up self? Five to six came. I was afraid of those last five minutes. I could count the ticks of the clock. And then the Spirit spoke again. If you can't be willing, would you like me to help you? Are you willing to be made willing? Take care, the enemy whispered. When a stronger person than yourself is on the other side, to be willing to be made willing is the same as to be willing. As I was thinking upon this point, I looked at the clock. It was one minute to six. I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I'm willing. Within an hour, the third person of the Godhead had come in. He gave Reese that word in Hebrews 10:19, having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Immediately, said Reese, I was transported into another realm. 
Within the sacred veil where the Father and the Savior and the Holy Ghost live, there I heard God speaking to me, and I have lived there ever since. When the Holy Spirit enters, he comes in to abide forever. To the blood of Jesus be the glory. How I adored the grace of God. It is God who goes so far as to give us repentance. It was God who helped me to give up my will. There were some things he had asked for during the week that I'd been able to give because I was the master of them. But when he asked me to give up myself and my will, I found I could not until he pulled me through. An eyewitness tells us that no words can describe the little meeting in the house that night. The glory of God came down. They started the chorus, there's power in the blood. They sang it for two hours straight. And then from 9 p.m. to 2.30 a.m., it was nothing but the Holy Spirit speaking things I'd never dreamed of in exalting the Savior. When he awoke the next morning, he said, I realized that the Holy Ghost had come in to abide forever. The feeling I had was that he brought me into the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. It is impossible to describe the floods of joy that followed. Reese Howells was not a person who was given to public speaking. He was quite naturally quiet and retiring. But when the Holy Ghost entered, he loosed his tongue and brought his own boldness in. We've just begun to scratch the surface. I want you, please, this week to pray. I want you to answer honestly the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to give him everything? Are you willing to give up your sin? Are you willing to give the Holy Spirit your life? For real. It calls for an unconditional surrender. Do you want to play Christian or do you want to be Christian? I pray this week that the Holy Spirit will work in your heart. And deal with attitudes and feelings and actions that you're still holding on to. That he wants to take. That he wants to remove. That's the call of the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to be made willing? Watch yourself this week. You know when you have a glass of water and somebody jostles you? And the water slops out. Watch this week as you're jostled and see what slops out. Watch when someone does something or says something to you that displeases you. Watch what slops out. When you're alone, watch where your mind goes. Watch what you dwell on. The Holy Spirit is calling for unconditional surrender at the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to